Welcome to Better Words, a podcast for readers who want to know the stories behind the pages. We're your hosts, Caitlin and Michelle, two book nerds who bring you in-depth conversations about writing and publishing from those on the inside. Basically, we're just here to talk about books. We're so glad you're joining us. Hello, welcome back to Better Words. Thank you for joining us again. Yes, thank you. Hello, Michelle. How are you? I am very good. Bit of a busy week planned, but I'm going to get through it. It's going to be okay. Yes, (laughs) you will get through it. Yeah. Look, let's just say I'm looking forward to the weekend already because I will absolutely be resting and not working. The last two weekends I've worked and um, like preparing for things. And yeah, I've just got a lot to cram in this week, but I will definitely be resting. And I think we want to watch the Downton Abbey movie because we finally finished Mm -hmm. Downton Abbey. Um, Plus we are, should we, should we tell everyone we are both watching the crown because next week we want to have a discussion about it so there may be spoilers next week but we will you know we will make that very clear um when we're going is it spoiling when it's based on real history i mean yeah that's true charles and diana get married guess what guys Diana dies but not in this season um but no well see that's the thing though because there are certain bits that you don't know there was things that Jack didn't know and he was like oh I'm watching this as if I don't know what's happening yeah oh that's funny isn't it whereas like you know when you take a bit of an interest I've googled things after past seasons of the crown you kind of yeah and I, I knew certain things so I was like, oh, yeah, this is going to happen to this person. Anyway, that is a discussion for next week. But this week we're doing some recommendations. Yes, we are. So I would like to recommend, uh, this is actually a bit of a piggyback, I'm realising. I think you may have already recommended this. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) So I was going to recommend a book I um, have most recently read, which is um, It Only Happens in the Movies by Holly Bourne. Have you already recommended this book on the podcast? I have probably talked about it on the podcast, but it wasn't when we were doing specific recommendations. So okay. uh, you, you can have so that. Is it would a be loophole? <laughs> it's a loophole. Go for it. Okay. Well, good. Well, that's my recommendation, everyone. So um, for those who never heard of this book before, it is. I would say it is a young adult rom-com. But it's mm-hmm. almost an anti-rom-com because the main character, Audrey, throughout the whole novel is constantly talking about and ranting how she doesn't like romantic comedies or romantic movies because they're unrealistic and dangerous to set up all of these like fake happy endings and real life is not like that. And as someone who will happily watch and enjoy the cheesiest of bad rom-coms I loved it like I put a photo on Instagram of this book and someone commented I forget who it was I'm sorry but someone commented like will they get a happy ending need predictability now more than ever and I was like I agree but even so I was like I think if you like rom-coms you will like this book yeah and also 
that's the thing, isn't it? Will they get a happy ending? Can you not have a happy ending not being in a relationship? Like that's what this book is about. Yeah, exactly. I actually, it's been so long, I can't remember what the ending is, but I definitely felt satisfied by it. And yeah, without saying anything or spoiling anything, I think it's a great ending. Yeah, I'm not saying that she ends up by herself either because I genuinely can't remember. But I think that idea of the happy ending being where the couple get together is just, I mean, that is what is harmful and dangerous about yeah. and that whole argument. And sometimes they shouldn't be together. So, yeah. again, without saying anything, maybe that's what happens in this book. But it's kind of, it's structured really well because um, Audrey is in, I think, year 12. I don't remember. But is I doing a project at school. How, I don't understand how British schools work. I don't, still. me neither. But anyway, she's at, she's in high school and is technically doing a project for a class in school um, analysing a piece of media. And so she's doing romantic movies. And so there are all of these notes at the start of like every four or five chapters that kind of analyze and rant a bit about um, all of these tropes in rom-coms like mm. the meet cute or the best friend who exists only to be your best friend or um, or like the relationship hiccup or breakup at about 70% but it's not serious enough so you know they're going to get back together at the end of the movie Um, or like the grand gesture um, and all of these things and it's so fun and there's a lot of other discussion and mentions of other movies throughout the book as well and like there's one where she's asking everyone she knows what their favourite like rom-com movie kiss is and there's you know some great mentions like 10 things i hate about you or i mean 10 things i hate about you is the perfect movie hands down it's rom-com or not it's brilliant yeah it's so good so yeah it's a really fun read i read it so quickly i actually started reading this book in the morning on the train because once in a blue moon i actually get the train into the city oh my gosh yeah i left the house very exciting I got the train into the city for work one day last week. So I read it on the train to and from and I'd had a really busy day. So then I read more in the evening and it was Australian reading hour. Um, But I actually read 260 pages out of like 3.30 or whatever this book is in one day. And it was a work day. (laughs) I remember reading it very, very quickly. And I, you know, I mentioned 10 things I hate about you then. I'm pretty sure that we watched it purely because I, it was mentioned in the book and I was like, yeah, this is the best movie ever. Yep. And so I had to watch it. <laughs> I think I did that. I think last time I watched Dirty Dancing was after we read What I Like About Me and chatted to Jenna <laughs> about Dirty Dancing. <laughs> I love getting oh, reminded no. of these great movies and stuff like that in books and revisiting them. Yeah. yeah. No, it's brilliant. Oh, yeah, and you haven't said it's by Holly Bourne. Oh, I probably said that right at the beginning, but you're right. It's by Holly Bourne. So that is my first book I've read by her after years, probably, of you recommending her work, Michelle. So now I'm hooked. I've got to get in and read some other stuff. So I'm going to recommend um, another young adult book as well, one that was uh, like quite an easy read for me, or not like easy, but I got into it, really loved it, Um, and that is called... The Reckless Afterlife of Harriet Stoker by Lauren James. And I've recommended Lauren James's books on the podcast before. She wrote 
loneliest girl in the universe yes loneliest girl in the universe which i love still my favorite of hers um anyway so the reckless afterlife of harriet stoker is um about ghosts it's really cool so basically there is this um abandoned university student housing hall and mm-hmm. the reason it's abandoned is partly because in the 90s all the students mysteriously died um, and you know it's like a gas leak they all just die in their sleep um anyway so Harriet breaks in goes in there to take photos for her photography assignment and in like the first chapter falls down the stairs and dies and that's when her afterlife begins and she becomes a ghost and is met by the hundreds of other ghosts who are there who who died in that place yes oh wow that's cool yeah and then all this stuff unravels and it's very interesting it's like quite thrilling because there's there is a bit of a mystery throughout I must say though there are always things where and I think it's just the way that my brain works where whenever something happens I'm like how does that happen what does that mean for this and like going on this thing of like but I don't get it. How can ghosts do this? How can they do that? Like, I just have to know all the rules. And yeah. I mean, this is why I struggle with that stuff, reading that sort of stuff. But that aside, that is just a personal thing for me. I think it's dealt with really well in the book. And I think it's really interesting. But yeah, it definitely like pushes the boundaries of like, I'm like, but I thought ghosts could do this. But I mean, let's be real. They're probably all made up anyway. So you can do whatever you want. Um, but yeah, yeah. it's just, it was I really think that's tricky sometimes fantasy sci-fi ish things is that we all have these rules that we like kind of agree are standard about things like ghosts, werewolves, vampires or whatever, but each person who's creating a world with these creatures kind of has a right to change those like standard rules as much as they want you know this is like the classic what do you mean vampires sparkle in twilight sort of thing it's like you can change the rules a little bit so maybe this is a different kind of ghost than others that you've encountered Michelle (laughs) well I can't say I've read that many books where all the characters were ghosts so that was really it was really interesting and I know that I always enjoy Lauren James's books they're always quite a quite a quick fun YA read that I can count on so yeah that was that was really fun so I suppose then to transition slightly into the world of this interview we have a fun thing that we would like to quickly talk about this makes me so happy because it's the amalgamation of our two favorite things <laughs> and our two favorite people but Rolling Stone have, um, I don't even want to say it's a feature because it's a, like a Q&A sort of interview transcript yeah. between Taylor Swift. And it's Taylor the first in a series that they're doing, I think, with like yes. duos of musicians. Yes. So it's Taylor Swift and Paul McCartney. And it's just it's so beautiful that our two obsessions can come together like this. I know. I loved it. So they... <sighs> met up um, for a photo shoot. One of Paul's daughters um, did the photography. Mary um, did the photography. But, you oh, know, and they were both Stella styled was... by Stella. Stella. But she's already friends with Taylor. So, yeah. you know. There like, was a I Taylor was Swift and Stella McCartney-like merch collab, like so for cool. Lover last year. Oh. It was great. Wait, I didn't know that. I would have bought some just for that. <laughs> yeah, well, it probably would have been a lot easier for you to buy some because you were over there. But, yeah. 
Um, It's quite fun. But, yeah, and they both met up to talk about creating uh, their most recent albums in lockdown or, as McCartney has been calling it, rockdown, which I think is very fun. So I... I love, so the reason it's McCartney 3 as well, and you'll, you know, you if you read the article, you find out, but basically the first McCartney album was his post, his first post-Beatles album, and it contains one of my all-time favourite songs, Maybe I'm Amazed. I adore it so much. He recorded it in the the farm that they had in Scotland that he, I'm pretty sure, describes at the end is like, I mean, talk about dodgy. Like, has anyone cleaned this place up? Like, he sort of talks about that. And when he broke up from the Beatles, he went into a deep depression. They went to Scotland. And a bit like lockdown now, he didn't really have access to anything. So he just recorded everything himself. And that's what he's done with McCartney 3. There was a there was a McCartney 2 in the middle there as well. But McCartney 3, he's, he's, he's everything on the album, which I love. And it obviously... The reason they've picked these two musicians is because their stories so beautifully intertwined because Taylor did that with folklore. Yes, she did. She, I guess, was bored almost immediately um, when she got stuck quarantining in Los Angeles. I actually found that quite funny that she said that because um, if any, you know, big Swifties have been paying attention, I think, unless I'm wrong, I think we thought that she's been in London this whole time. Um, but I didn't realize that she had was in LA at the beginning, so who knows? Anyway, yeah, just wanted to, you know, create something, write a song here or there, and it just and she just kept going, and they had an album completely ready with everything else around it by like the middle of July, and <laughs> dropped it already. So that was already months ago. So she almost could have written like one by now it feels like so long ago it feels like a different year that that came out it's crazy one of my favorite things in this article was their discussions on other things that they've been doing while quarantining and staying at home and everything taylor said that she has done a few sewing projects and has made a few things for friends who are having babies which include people like Katy perry and Gigi hadid but that Paul's first comment was, yeah, you're at that age. I know. I was just going to say that was the funny thing was he's like, yeah, yep, you're at that age. Yep. Um, it's it's so interesting as well. I have always been fascinated by the way that Paul and Linda raised their children because like when they did their big American tour, they got like they rented houses or like had houses at certain places in America and they had the kids with them and then they would go and do the show and then come back and they oh, wanted so they their had kids. like a few little like home bases sort of yeah yeah because they wanted their kids to have as normal a life as possible and they talk about that briefly in here and he talks about like the fact that his kids would get bullied a bit or like get made fun of for being the children of Paul McCartney yeah. like he said that like people, they'd walk into the classroom and people would be like, nah, 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 nah. <laughs> and you just think, oh my God, that's so, it's so weird. But he, they talk about the fact that he didn't want to protect them from that and that he didn't want to um, have them too sheltered. And so they had like a really normal life. And I just, I've always been fascinated by that. So I love that they talk about that. And they also talk about, um, you know, the fact that, you know, being in a relationship and the fact that the partner has to 
um, understand the craziness that surrounds them because they're obviously both mega famous and anything that they do is going to be, I mean, Taylor more so now, um, be photographed and stuff. Um, But then I also just think it's, there's a, I'm just trying to find it. Um, I mean, I loved when they talked about as well, just words and phrases and finding nice words to put in songs because yeah Paul is the only person I can ever think of who has found a way for the word inclement to be in a song like it's it's things like that where I'm just like I love that they both did that yeah and folklore is particularly an album where you know everyone has kind of like laughed and like when the album first came out there were like BuzzFeed articles it's like here's what these words mean because she had like elegies and (laughs) like all of these like fancy flowery words and, it, and she said this because she was reading a lot of things like Daphne du Maurier and so yeah. she's like I all was all, I'm just going to quote here I was also using words I wanted to use kind of bigger flowery pretty words like epiphany in songs I always thought well that'll never track on pop radio but when I was making this record I thought what tracks nothing makes sense anymore if there's chaos everywhere why don't I use the damn word in this song and I think what's interesting too and it's interesting that they didn't sort of say that as well was that that was very very much part of the reason why the Beatles stopped touring is because they were getting more experimental and it got to the point where they were just like, how can we recreate this on stage? We don't yeah. really want to have to. Let's just, I mean, that's the the sort of second half of their career is the explosion into trying whatever they wanted because they didn't have to perform it. And I think that's what Taylor's done in Folklore. It is 100% what Taylor's done with Folklore. She knows that this, there's no gonna, there's no like Folklore stadium tour or whatever she can play cardigan on the piano on the next tour if she even does that again but yeah because and it's such it's so funny because when you think in comparison to an album like reputation boy was that built for an amazing concert and this one just (laughs) isn't she did it for a completely different purpose and yeah and they talk about people finding comfort in their songs and how you know they they might not want to play songs because it's the 300 millionth time that they've played them but um this idea that if people pay good money to come to their stadium shows when they could they want to give them what they've come for and Taylor yeah, I really about, liked that oh it was beautiful and Taylor talks about her whole family going to see Paul in concert and her learning from that and thinking that is the most selfless set list ever because you're playing what people have come for. And I had the same experience where, you know, when we went to see Paul, it is, there's like one or two new songs. Like he did the one that he did with Kanye, but like it's mostly old hits and it's stuff that people want to hear and I just think that's so wonderful and they talk about that in there because Paul's like you know basically and grow up with much money if I went to a concert I wanted to see you want to hear your favorite songs exactly and then they talk about the fact that you know people find comfort in those songs and Paul says 
I love when people stop me in the street and say like I was going through an illness and I listened to your stuff and I'm better now. It got me through. Or kids will say it got me through exams. Hi, it's me. Um, You know, they're studying, they're going crazy. They put the music on. I'm sure that happens with a lot of your fans. It inspires them. And Taylor says, that's definitely the goal. There's so much stress everywhere you turn. I kind of wanted to make an album that felt sort of like a hug or like your favorite sweater that makes you feel like you want to put it on. And McCartney says, what a cardigan yeah <laughs> um but yeah she says, I loved that because cardigan. I loved that even for a second that Taylor didn't say it that she was like yeah. you know like that feeling and he's like a cardigan like <laughs> duh <laughs> Um, but yeah she says something that makes you reminisce on your childhood I think sadness can be cozy it can obviously be traumatic and stressful too but I kind of was trying to lean into sadness that feels like somehow enveloping in not such a scary way like nostalgia and whimsy incorporated into a feeling like you're not all right because I don't think anybody was feeling like they were in their prime this year isolation can mean escaping your imagination in a way that's kind of nice and like I definitely have moments I don't listen to as much of the Beatles anymore just on my daily you know it's not yeah yeah, it's it's not on as much at the moment um but when I do listen to certain songs it just immediately it does feel comforting and I don't mean but it feels like that too when you listen to something like you know shake it off and you're immediately just like yeah this is the comfort happy song and oh my goodness I loved that they were both going to perform at Gladstonbury this year I know and Paul said that he would have sung shake it off and I was like I can't believe we're never going to get that now I know that makes me so sad I couldn't wait to watch that oh my god I know they clearly had like such a good connection as well like yeah and it's so exciting and I wish I had better stats on this but like in the past like two years or something there have been a few like you know like albums on charts or songs on charts records and things or awards and things like that that you know now Taylor Swift is the only person only solo acts to do these things or whatever and the only group act is the Beatles you know like they're in (laughs) a class of their own so that probably could have been the introduction just in itself, but that's a little bonus content yeah. for you. And now we will get to talking more about musicians <laughs> with our lovely guest. Please enjoy this episode and go and listen to those two albums. So our guest this week was born in Henley-on-Thames in England and she spent her childhood pinballing between the continents of Australia and England before settling in Sydney finally. She worked as a journalist and a social researcher for several years before she became a freelance writer in 2015. Her debut novel, Stars Like Us, was published by Hardy Grant Egmont in July 2020 after winning the Hardy Grant Egmont ampersand prize in 2018 and the Varuna Black Ink Publisher Introduction Program in 2017. Welcome to Better Words, Frances Chapman. Thank you. Great to be here. Thank you so much for joining us. As we said, your book has won a couple of awards already um, on its road to publication, which is amazing. So can you tell us a little bit about Stars Like Us and what people can expect from the story? So um, it's, uh, well, I guess the first thing to say about it is that it's a queer YA novel. Um, It's about Liliana, who's a 16-year-old guitarist and singer. She goes to England on a music exchange 
And while there, she meets Carter, a teenage uh, Lothario <laughs> with a charming <laughs> swagger and a lot of secrets. Um, and they form a band which suddenly hits the time. Um, and she kind of falls down this spiral of fame and she has to contend with a bisexual love triangle, a toxic relationship and work out whether she should be measuring success in terms of fame or money or artistic expression or some other metric. Um and I, I guess I usually describe it to people as kind of like walk the line if Johnny Cash was queer and female and into Bowie. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. And, I mean, that is a lot so, to pack into a novel as well. <laughs> Excellent. Yes, yeah. I'm sure um, <laughs> if people haven't, haven't read it already, they're probably hopefully very excited by that concept. It's excellent. <laughs> And you're right, it is actually quite action-packed. I just kept going and I was like, oh, my God, so much has happened so far. But it's great. <laughs> it's such a fun read and quite a cool concept for a novel. Um, and in your bio in the book, you say that Stars Like Us was partially inspired by a photo of Justin Bieber eating chicken in Sydney. Uh, so can you tell us more about that and how it inspired the novel? The Justin Bieber story is one of those, it's one of those things. I put it in the bio and I thought, oh, this will be funny. And now like literally everybody has asked me about it because of course it's like, it's a bit intriguing, right? But um, yeah. it's really, if, if you Google it, you Google Justin Bieber chicken shop Sydney. Um, I think it was around 2015 and he was, it was just this amazing photo because I felt like it really, um, it sort of pulled back the like some of the um the the scaffolding around celebrity and i'm absolutely fascinated yeah. with celebrity and have been as a kid like i used to buy all the magazines you know tv hits smash hits like top of the pops so i was really you know i was in there i was getting everything and um i've always kind of been like fascinated and also kind of a bit repulsed by our interest in it but I'm very much part of that problem so I like I um the photo of Justin Bieber is he sitting on the sidewalk um at a chicken shop um so you know outdoor seating and he's got a couple of mates with him um and they're just they're just having lunch you know they have they've got some takeaway it is you know what it says on the box they've got some takeaway drumsticks or whatever and some chips and they're eating their their lunch And next to them is a a security guard who is holding back, like we're standing beside a line of teenage girls who are, and it was the girls that I was interested in because, like, it's just Justin, he's just eating chicken. Like, he's not even paying any attention to these girls. They've shown up to watch him eat chicken and he's not even giving them the time of day. He's just chatting to his mates, which, of course, he has to because his whole life is like this. His whole life is being in a box and people watching Particularly... Like in 2014, 2015, I feel like that was like peak Bieber. Oh, it was Maximum Bieber. Yeah, yeah, it was. <laughs> and so he, um, so he's eating chicken. The security guard's there. The girls are standing there. And if you look at the girls, they look stricken. Like they don't look like they're having a good time. They look like they're having, that. they look really worried. Like, oh, my God, what if he looks at me? Like one of them has brought a puppy. So she, you know, she obviously brought a puppy. She thought maybe Justin Bieber will touch my puppy. And then, like, there's, you know, they're wearing, like, they've obviously dressed up for the occasion, you know, wearing little crop tops. And it's just, like, horrifying because I want to, you know, I'm a mum. Like, I want to take these 
girls and be like it's okay guys like have a cuddle you know it's you know like hot chocolate like <laughs> you'll be all right um and so i i was really interested by this because it feels felt like to me like the, the day that they thought they were about to have when they left the house in their little outfits with the with the dog was not the day they were having as they sat watching justin bieber eating chicken by him you know just chatting to his mates and I thought there's so much in that, like there's so much to unpack there, you know, like here's this guy whose whole life is about being watched. And so he just doesn't even, he's still like, if somebody watched me eat chicken, I would want to take the chicken and go and hide somewhere else. I mean, I'm a vegetarian. I don't eat chicken, (laughs) but you know what I mean? Like I would want to go and not be watched. Right. Um, But he, yeah, yeah, like he's just, it's just his whole life is like this. And then another time I was like, so there was this photo and the other thing was that I went to dinner once with some friends around the same time when I started writing the book and Selena Gomez was um, at the next table and I didn't know that because I didn't know who she was. I um, I just thought that girl's got a cool outfit on, um, <laughs> you know, and then she got up and she didn't eat anything at all so it's nice restaurant food's amazing and she didn't eat anything and then she got up and she left and as she opened the door there was this like cacophony of sound as um, a whole lot of people shouted and screamed and then the door shut behind her and there was flashes and flashes and flashes of cameras and the door shut behind her and I thought wow what a life like you're just sitting in a restaurant eating your dinner or you're not or ignoring your dinner Mm -hmm. and then you get up and you walk outside and it's like amazing. So that that was the beginning. That was for the scene where um, Liliana meets Addie who is, um, becomes a friend of hers who's a celebrity. That with the that restaurant time that I experienced really influenced that scene for me. And so I wanted to write about like what it was, what it might really be like. Like, you know, we think, oh, what would it be like to be famous? Yeah. Well, what would it really be? Like it would be you'd have you know, a lot of people looking at you, a lot of scrutiny, perhaps if you have that at a time in your life where, you know, you're a teenager and you're already, um, you know, maybe self-conscious, maybe you're developing your own sense of identity at that time. Like what does that do to you? You know, what? how does that influence you and how, how might you change and grow through that experience? So that was kind of the jumping off point, the inspiration for the book. Amazing. It's such an interesting concept and such an interesting thing to think about. And I'm so obsessed with all of that too. And the, I know the scene you're talking about where they all go into the restaurant and what it reminded me of, as did the Selena Gomez story that you just told, was there's a, um, like a very short snippet in Taylor Swift's documentary, Miss Americana, where she's like the camera crew or whatever is like in the car And it's like, they're like, okay, go. And she walks out the door, like to the car, like across like the sidewalk or whatever in like outside her New York city apartment. And it is so noisy and so flashy. And there's like heaps of people either side, but there's this path for her to walk and she gets in the car and she, and like looks back and says to like the director of the document of the doco, like, that's my like front door. And it's just like, that is insane. Like, yeah. And I think when you see those photos of like, if you can, you know, if you look at a photo of Kim Kardashian in which you can see the paparazzi, you realise that there's this 
whole like mostly you don't see the paparazzi because it's a photo of Kim Kardashian and you can kind of imagine looking at that photo that there's no one else there but there's actually 40 people there with cameras and they're all men as well so like what's it like for a a young young woman or a a girl a teenage girl to be scrutinized and shouted at and called at and you know photographed by this large group of males like I think it's you know quite a full-on like you know would be for me as a teenager that would have been my absolute worst nightmare like I was totally introvert and I really wouldn't have liked it Mm. so um I think and I think that the although I as a teenager wanted desperately to be famous because we were kind of told certainly I was growing up in the early 2000s yeah yeah that that was the thing that everyone wants right like um and and that that would mean that's a valid validation like that's that would mean you've made it I guess yeah some way so um and there's still like you still see that the, this sort of deification of people who are famous, which is really interesting. But I'm, you know, I haven't seen the Taylor Swift documentary. I, I did do quite a lot of research, um, like when I was first writing the book and the first few drafts. And I, one of the things I watched was the Spice Girls documentary, which was fascinating. Oh. Have you guys seen it? <laughs> no, but it would be so fascinating. Yeah, because it's twenty years ago. Yeah, that's insane. Yeah. So before smartphones, before, you know, following everything, because I guess now, like, yes, absolutely, there is paparazzi, but now also everyone's paparazzi because yeah. everyone's got a camera and a smartphone and the ability to go viral, you know, and to, to capture. So I guess there would be even more of a feeling of being watched because anyone on the street could be filming you. Or, you know, you could be just going for a walk and someone snaps a photo of you. Yeah, that's so full on because we carry, all carry a camera in our pocket. And that that idea of, you know, invasion of your privacy, like with those photos of Kristen, Kristen Stewart came out with the married guy and it was all like, oh, my God, she's yeah. there. And it was just taken by some guy, some person walking past, you know, like it was just oh, my God, you shouldn't be with that person. I know who your boyfriend is. That's full on. I'm not saying she should have done yeah. anything about her. And I'm not, I know, God, like, like not saying the paparazzi are any better no. because I don't think they are. But, like, at that. least with that, it's, like, a very <laughs> defined, like, I guess in uh, the old days, for lack of a better word, you could potentially, you know, avoid the paparazzi or, you know, make a deal with the media that they wouldn't but now it's like you can't you can't possibly protect yourself if you I mean lord knows I don't know what it's like to to be in this situation but if you are I mean you see it with like TikTok stars and things like that if you are in a situation where you are recognizable then literally anywhere you go outside your own home pretty much you could potentially be seen you know you really would feel like you are potentially under surveillance 24 7 mm. yeah yeah definitely. but I think um in in terms of documentaries as well um speaking of like old documentaries I uh not not up with the latest music trends um but some of the like best documentaries I've seen about the Beatles were about like their touring times and it's absolutely nuts yeah. that like the way that and I guess then as well there was even less like security or anything like that because it was the very first time that 
people had reacted in yeah, the way. kind of mob sense. So there, it wasn't like, a, like now celebrities obviously have like bodyguards and all this sort of stuff. And back then it just feels like, I mean, John Lennon was able to be shot outside his, his mm-hmm. own apartment because of that, you know, like there was no sort of real consideration for protection in that sense. So I think it's really fascinating as well to think about how we've moved forward, both in good ways and bad ways, mm. um, to to be in that surveillance situation. But I think what's interesting about watching the Beatles ones, and it might have been this with the Spice Girls as well, is that I think they always found solace in the fact that they were all in this bubble together and they had each other to rely on. And I think there was either an interview that I read or watched where I think it was Ringo said, um, I always felt really sorry for Elvis because he was just there by himself. And like, at least we had each other Mm. um, to, to go through this very crazy situation with four guys together. Like it was like a family sort of thing in the inner circle. Um, and I think that must be the same nowadays when, you know, especially with, I mean, TikTok viral sensations have been a big discussion point yeah. lately. Um, when that happens in a much quicker succession than it used to with music stars and things like that, um, it must be so incredibly daunting and feel so isolating when you don't really know who to trust either. Like are these people being friends with you or wanting a piece of you because of who you are or because of your fame? It just must be so, so confusing. I think every time I think about this, I just, I sort of end up coming to the conclusion that I would never, ever want to be famous. It just sounds (laughs) like such a nightmare. Yeah. I would hate it. I, um, I like, I'm not at all, um, I don't enjoy attention in any, like I don't, I've never, you know, got married because I would hate everyone to be looking at me, you know, so I'm very, very averse to that. The whole thing makes me want to have eventually. But I think the thing that um, does uh, offset it is that these people have enormous wealth and the majority of them would, would be doing something that they love. And most of us don't have a job that we, you know, love every second of. So if this, or if we do, we don't get paid exactly. much for it. So if we get the de- if this is the downside to that, then some would argue, well, that's that's a price that's worth paying. Or, but I think the thing about it is that you you would sign up to it without knowing what it was. So I don't think anyone yeah. really know what it's like until you. It's probably you know one of those things where once you and once you're in it, you can't be unfamous. Like once you've become famous, you're either. Yeah still famous where you're a has-been like you're oh you you look like like that guy who used to be famous and when you do look at people who've like opted out of the industry like who you know had great fame and then they've gone off and done and you remember Jonathan Taylor Thomas who was a child star in the 90s yeah on Home Improvement and he yeah I know that name in The Lion King he went and, and uh, you know, because a child star and then he went and did a psychology degree and I think he's now a, just a psychologist. And people think, they go, well, what happened? You know, where did he, what, like, why couldn't he get any roles? But it's like he probably actually made a decision. He, I, you know, I don't know anything about him particularly. But, mm. uh, you know, I could see why you would kind of go, actually, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm going to retrain. <laughs> Yeah, but um, yeah. So it's interesting, yeah, totally. you know. There's kind of like there's this double-edged sword around. Oh, I would never want it, but then it's like if you had it, 
would you want to give it back? And I think that's particularly the thing that Liliana and her band go through in my, you know, book that they sort of, and the three, you know, three in particular, the band's four people. One of them's just a, you know, regular douchebag who doesn't, you know, is just along for the ride. But um, you've got one, you've also got, you know, Carter who wants um, fame, fortune and as many groupies as he can handle. And then you've got Liliana who feels, um, you know, an affinity with the music and really just wants to make music. And then you've got Sam who doesn't want, who's the drummer, who doesn't want anything to do with, with the machine of it all and has a lot of integrity. Um, and I think that probably within celebrity culture you have people of many different you know um motivations but um and those and they sort of represent the different kinds of ways that you could come into this so not it's not like everyone who's famous desperately wanted to be that way either some of them you know just found themselves that way I'm sure and I think uh again to bring up you know viral internet things I think that's an example of most people I would say who go viral and get that incredible attention do not plan that. Um, no, so we then, can't plan it. That's kind of the whole, yeah, I'm like, who, whole thing. Who, oh, I mean, some people try, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to underestimate the fact that some people desperately try. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, TikTok, as a, like these TikTok stars, um, you know, when you look at how many millions of followers they have and stuff like that, like no one could have, you know, three years ago predicted that TikTok would be that, that way so no one went on to TikTok at that time thinking I'm going to be famous by doing this um so yeah I think it's very like you can't yeah you can't just and if you just drop off like what do you do you don't have any skills (laughs) so yeah exactly you don't have any skills it's that Um, endless fascination isn't it like we will always be so interested in this like mm, oh yeah where are they now it's It's crazy Yeah. Totally. Oh, yeah. I'm getting up. Oh my god. Love a where are we? Now. <laughs> um. <laughs> so, why though in stars like us? Like, why did you particularly want to put that in a young adult novel? Because it's a lot to, it's a lot to take on as a young adult. And I guess some people would say maybe the idea of fame and fortune in that way is a bit far fetched for a young adult novel. But why was it important to you? Oh, to explore it in that context. This novel I'm warning you is highly far-fetched. Like if anybody is thinking that this is an accurate representation of, you know, anything, they they should avoid it. Oh, I thought it was how I was going to get famous. <laughs> not, it's not it's a, a manual. manual. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, so I think the, the reason I was drawn to it as a young adult story is I felt it was a really um, interesting way to do a coming of age kind of a story because it's sort of emotions are so heightened as a teenager um, anyway and I think you know and then I kind of had this sort of very like fantastical kind of setting um, I wanted to write something that was a contemporary story so that didn't have magic in it essentially um, and was set in the present but I couldn't think of a unique way to do it um, and so, and this was the kind of, that was a way I, I thought would, you know, to, to address some of the, you know, my, I mean, I'm interested in relationships. Like I'm a writer, I'm interested in relationships. I want to talk about friendship. I want to talk about love and talk about complicated kind of feelings and, you know, that kind of stuff. And, and you need to sort of hang all that on a plot. So I thought this was a sort of good, it's a tried and true sort of story around, um, you know, the band becoming very famous and then, you know, um, asking themselves whether their their um the art uh, is worth the price you pay for it um 
and weighing that up and I'd like that's not a particularly new story I guess but I thought doing it with teenagers was a sort of new spin um so yeah I think and I think also the characters just really the characters are always the thing that comes first for me and um Liliana came to me as a very um fully fledged kind of character she's got a lot of uncertainty she makes a lot of mistakes she's she's not someone who interrogates her own emotions very much um and perhaps if she did we would <laughs> come to um better conclusions sooner um but then we probably wouldn't have a story so <laughs> so she came no. to me first and then and then I thought um that uh, a good way to kind of um you know, to, to understand her a bit better would be to um, place her in this these really sort of heightened situations with fame and everything. And I also think, like, I wanted her to be really good. Like, it was really important to me that she was a very talented musician and that the band worked really hard and that they kind of earned their fame in a way, um, although... Uh, they it does happen very quickly <laughs> for them. It's all yeah. overnight. But um, yeah, so I but you know wanted it's a her story. To, yeah, it's a story. I wanted her to be um to be confident and to have you know some things about her that she was sort of proud of and and things that would make you want to root for her as well. So um, yeah, so I think that that's why it became a YA novel was really because it was her and she was the, the character that drove it. She is a she's a great character and you're right if she you know thought things through a little bit more it probably wouldn't be as interesting to read her story so (laughs) I find it very frustrating but um but then you know I'm a grown-up so (laughs) I guess as a writer there is a temptation there to be like oh I don't want my character to be the one that makes the mistake but we're all human and sometimes we do f it up pretty bad so I think it's it is good to explore that and it's good to um I think especially in YA novels I think it's good to have teens making those decisions now that we as adults look back on and go oh that was the wrong choice because I think it it shows teens in a safe environment that you can make silly choices and you can move past it and you can make the right choice in the future like I think there's that safety rather than just presenting the character as she never makes mistakes she's perfect (laughs) yeah that would be boring Um, boring. (laughs) in stars like us liliana's scholarship place was held previously by addie who you mentioned before who is now the lead singer of a very successful uh girl band i'm gonna call them um called perfect storm and when the band is forming, Liliana sings one of their songs uh, to audition. And throughout the novel, the boys kind of tease her a bit about liking such a popular mainstream band. And we absolutely love talking about this and about how guilty pleasures, guilty pleasures shouldn't be guilty, that pop culture is often seen as frivolous and silly because teen girls lack things. Yeah. And I would love to know how what you think about all of that. Yeah, I totally agree. I I was that um, girl who was teased for liking um, I, in you know when I was growing up, it was Gwen Stefani because she was she'd sold out. She was in No Doubt and they were cool, and then she left No Doubt and she was not cool anymore because she was making pop music. Or something. I I loved her so much um, growing up, and um, and so I used to get you know, and all my friends were into like oh Jebediah and something for Kate and these bands that were like so heavy and male, and I was like oh. <laughs> 
I think that's the thing. And the other thing for Liliana as well is that she loves, she does love good, you know, inverted commas music and like the stuff that the boys think is good. But she also loves Perfect Storm and it's okay to have diverse tastes and to have, I'm wondering whether this is something that teenagers of this current generation um, don't have quite as much. I think that when we were growing up, when I was growing up, things were, you know, we were much more kind of cliquey around, um, you know, we had like the emo movement and things like that, where it's kind of like, oh, those guys are the emos and they listen to this very specific kind of music. Um, and I'm not sure that that happens in the same way anymore. I feel like it's easier for teens now to have diverse tastes and, and maybe not be quite so um, pilloried for them. But I agree with that mm. pleasures thing. I think this a lot about, so Addie is quite, um, it's quite obvious to some people um that she's modeled on a um harry styles type rise to fame the band is assembled through a um tv reality reality tv show and she's the youngest member um, and also the most talented and i <laughs> yes who does that sound like like <laughs> yeah. um, is you know definitely as gorgeous as harry as well so um yeah no she's so she's sort of i think the parallels to um uh, popular boy band would be would be quite clear um and one direction are one of those bands that that people you know really been awful about and kind of dismissed because um totally because teenage girls are into them um and i don't know if anyone if you guys have heard harry's latest album but it's banger that's amazing <laughs> yes. I love it. yeah i love it yeah it's so good yeah. it's so good i will okay. admit when i was in high school was pretty yeah like peak one direction and everyone loved one direction like at first but it was still kind of the outside you know like adults and boys would go like oh you know one direction wrong direction so lame blah 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 and it was kind of the same thing with Justin Bieber as well yeah and never really been a big Justin fan but I did like One Direction and but I would tell everyone that I didn't or that I listened to them when my sister listened to them and everything and I listened to like three of their albums while I was working yesterday and I'm obsessed with Harry Styles and Niall Horan now, and I don't care who knows. But also, I think coming at, like coming out of the Beatles, if you're John Lennon or Paul McCartney, and you you know you want to have a solo career, I feel like there's an integrity or something there that people have just kind of ex- accepted that you have. Whereas if you think about Harry coming out of of um, he didn't come out of Perfect Storm because that wasn't his band. <laughs> coming out of some direction, um, you know, it's a really um, like I, I don't know if you read that interview with him in the Rolling Stone with um Cameron Crowe, um, and I mean all of this stuff is artifice. Like you know, it's clear that Cameron Crowe is selected to do this interview with Harry Styles because Harry Styles is trying to appear more serious, and you know he talks about how mm-hmm. Mac are one of his biggest influences, and you know blah 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 blah. Like and. I mean, Fleetwood Mac are amazing. And they are. And but they're one of those that has this serendipitous story about, you know, Lindsay Buckingham playing piano and Stevie Nicks coming over and just starting to sing with him like magic. You know, yeah. so those stories, I mean, but I think, so the Harry Styles thing when he, you know, decided that he wanted to be his own person at something like 23, I mean, he was really, like, young very very young yeah and I feel like coming coming out of that band that group it must have been really hard to kind of go okay well who who am I going to be what kind of music am I going to make like not that not what I'm told to make or not what I've been making for the last five years or not what you know these four other people in the band who have opinions have wanted to do but 
what what am I going to, how am I going to apply my integrity as a musician and a singer? Um, and I think like that's so, and that's why his first album is so schizophrenic. It's all over the shop because it's got, he's got influences. He's trying to work out who he is, I think. And then this obviously yeah. later is much more cohesive as a record. But um, yeah, so it's interesting. And it, does, it does have, like you can definitely tell the Fleetwood Mac influences as well. Totally. It's There's got this, a similar vibe. 100%. What happened here? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but um but yeah. Um so I like so I think that I mean every it's not it's not an easy path for anyone, you know, even if you had um even if you came out of the Beatles. Even coming out of the Beatles, like I think people First of all, I think at the time the public was incredibly angry that they would split up and there was no sort of understanding of the like turmoil that each of them were in. And then like, because Paul was my favorite, obviously I followed this story more closely, but Paul was blamed for splitting up the Beatles because they had to legally like dissolve the entity and stuff. Um, So he took them to court. It was some really complicated legal reason. And so he was really blamed for that. Basically, he was incredibly depressed after that because he he was like, in terms of career, totally unsure what to do. But then also, I think when you come out of the Beatles, and I think it would be the same for One Direction as well, we talked before about them being that bubble, having that entity against the world. Suddenly, it's like it's like a divorce or a breakup. It's like suddenly that person you've been in a relationship with or been together with for every second of your life for like 10 years since you, like as you grew up into adults, because they were still only like 30 when they broke up, which now I'm 26, does not seem that old. Um, So that whole like formative part of your life, you just never speak to them again. Like it, it is like going through a really bad breakup. So yeah, I don't think it's easy for anyone to come out of a band, even if you think, oh, well, they're going to be like, I mean, you you could look at anything that Paul McCartney or John Lennon or Ringo or George did and think, yeah, well, they'll sell albums anyway. They'll, they'll make money. And I mean, this is the thing with Fleetwood Mac as well. Um, they could, they could sell tickets to a show and you know, they'd sell out and they could turn up and be absolutely crap and people would still buy tickets because they're Fleetwood Mac. Um, so I think there's also a lot of integrity there when artists want to um, really, yeah, prove themselves. And I think it must be, it's difficult. It's, it's whenever you're looking at someone, I was talking about this in terms of business the other day, you look at people who are launching a course and selling out that course because they've got you know, 20,000 followers and think, oh God, that'd be so easy. Like, I wish I could sell more stuff. But then from their perspective, suddenly they're like, oh, I've got to deliver on this now. And, you know, it, it, it doesn't matter where you are. Someone else's journey always seems like it's easier or better or you, they're in a different place, but we all have our own personal struggles. Yeah. I've probably just stated the absolute obvious. Yeah, but... I think you're right. <laughs> and I think it depends. Like it's easy to look at, and I think that comes back to the fame Thing that we were discussing you know it's easy for us to look at it and go oh yeah. god it must be so hard to be famous everyone thinks you're amazing and you've got all this money like but yeah like oh I'm so sympathetic but the reality of it is you know there's all this other stuff that we probably haven't considered and like I mean I you know when I wasn't published I thought oh god I wish I, I just wish I could get published you know and like that, so that's the thing. And now I'm published and I've got a whole lot of other things. Like, what am I going to write my next book about? 
Yeah. Yeah, there's like a whole other set of worries yeah. that come along yeah. with that. But when you're in that space, you're like, oh, if I just get yeah. this, then it's going to be easier or whatever. And I think we don't we don't stop to acknowledge that. And I think that is so tied up in fame as well. We always look at, at people and think their life must be easier because they're famous and they have money to deal with this stuff. But maybe all they want is to come home and be with their you know, partner without having people outside or without having people speculating on their relationship. Maybe that's all that they want, you know, and it's such a, that's such a simple thing that we just take for granted um, because we're like, oh my God, I just want lots of money. (laughs) So yeah, it's, it's a very, yeah. And having the freedom to kind of live your life your own way, like leave the house and, you know, go and eat an apple in public without worrying that someone's going to take a photo of you with your face in a funny shape, you know, um, yeah. Or indeed some fried chicken. Yeah, exactly. Or indeed some fried chicken. <laughs> Everyone's going to Google this. Oh, I don't know. Oh, I mean, yeah, have I've, to. It's great. I've I did a live Google. Sent, it's such a good phrase. Yeah, I sent, I did, a, I did a Google and sent it to Caitlin and yeah. um, we'll definitely link yeah, it in the show definitely. notes as well so people can have a look at that. Um, so and good. I think we should actually just like, I think we should just include some some great photos of like those, like you said, those paparazzi shots of where you can suddenly see all the paparazzi there and you see like both sides of it. I think that'd be so interesting. Uh, from all what we've talked about so far, it's pretty obvious that music features very heavily in Stars Like Us. Um, but included in the novel are lots of lyrics to different breakout um I was gonna say novels different breakout songs and stuff so can we ask about the lyrics and writing the music did did you do all of that and add all of that where does that come from for you um I think writing the lyrics is the hardest thing um for me I um I'm quite musical but I'm not trained and I'm not really a musician like I'm not sure I'd myself that but um I'm always singing um and so and you know so and I'm I like I love narrative in songwriting so I love like my some of my favorite artists are people like Nick Cave and um I really like the Arctic Monkeys and I I like them more than pretty much any other current band um I mostly like quite old music and um, that you know the Arctic Monkeys really speak to me and I'm not sure I wasn't sure why and I kind of was trying to work it out and then I kind of realized that all of their songs are kind of a story in a song and I really love that about he just Alex Turner has a beautiful way with with words um and they're another one of those bands that kind of could have could have just done another stadium album after AM and then went back and did um the uh, Tranquility Base Hotel and Casino and and it was um such a like uh departure and such a 70s kind of album and so kind of kooky and I loved that you know that they kind of took that 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 risk because of their artistic interests rather than because of what people probably wanted them to do um so yeah a lot of the music is I I feel like the the band that Liliana and um is in is um Lady Stardust is the name of the band um I I uh, feel like that band is sounds a bit like the Arctic Monkeys in my head, and so the music that um, I wrote, all the songs that I wrote to go with it, with the um, novel, those they're quite rocky, I guess. Um, they've got a little bit of maybe a punk edge to them, but they're mostly you know they're sort of rock pop. Um, whereas uh, uh, the songs that Addie Marmoset sings, um, 
they're much poppier. I think of her as being a bit more like a Dua Lipa kind of a um, musician, so quite upbeat and yeah. dancey. She, I think Dua Lipa also has a really great narrative kind of um, tendency in her songs. I think I, her song New Rules is one of my favourites because it's like it's so yeah it's like we've all been there you know I just feel like there's so much recognition in it and and yet it's new I've never heard a song talk in such explicit detail about that um, particular aspect of of relationships so um yeah so I sort of took those kind of starting points of the Arctic Monkeys and Dua Lipa as like influences and then I looked at the structure of the songs and how they were um like in terms of syllables and rhyme schemes and that kind of thing. Alex Turner does a beautiful thing with rhyming schemes where he rhymes all sorts of words that don't really rhyme, but the way he pronounces them with a beautiful Sheffield accent does. <laughs> does make it rhyme. Uh, so, yeah, so I, I've tried to sort of take that influence in some of the, the songs that um, Lady Stardust wrote, uh, have in the novel and then the songs that, um, that Addie wrote uh, or that Addie and Liliana wrote together um, are a bit more um, kind of upbeat and poppy. So, yeah, I, I'm i really hoping that if it ever gets made into a movie, Alex Turner will be the, um, <laughs> the uh, like, music guide and maybe he can write the song. Yeah. That would be really cool. <laughs> That'd be brilliant. That would be amazing. You can just be like, um, I've already got the no, lyrics, I've done so let's just show writing credit. <laughs> and if you could just, like, make it good, that would be really – just make it good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah so um, That's so yeah. good. Did you write any more like, songs and lyrics oh, that didn't make it into Hundreds, the yeah. So this, I, this, went, this book went through many drafts. I think, we're, I think draft 10 or 11 was the one that actually got published. So um, it has – there's a lot on the cutting room floor and I don't write, I don't plan things out in great detail. I have a sort of general vague idea about where things are going, but I, I need to kind of write it to understand what's happening. And so otherwise I get bored because I know I've already done the story because I've written the outline. So I have to write the whole thing, which is time consuming. Um, <laughs> and so um, <laughs> I, I, you know, there was, there were versions and I think the, the other thing that was important to me is that the lyrics obviously further the story. So there's no sort of superfluous songs in there that are just, you know, some guy um, saying, you know, just writing a song. It's got to be, you know, uh, a veiled um, sort of message to someone in a song or a way of communicating Mm. something that maybe is not um, explicit in the, in the book. And so I, um, yeah, I think there's a lot there, you know, there is, there's a song that um, Sam wrote that isn't in the book. Um, There are many songs that Liliana wrote that that aren't in the book. Um, So yeah, the, the song that makes it big for them is called King Cutie and it's kind of Liliana trying to work out her feelings about Carter, which are quite complicated. Um, And that's very much based on um, the, the album rumors we've discussed with max so that that whole album is just you know stevie nicks breaking up with lindsey buckingham and sleeping with nick fleetwood in the same album it's just intense um (laughs) glorious and so that was kind of what i was trying to bring into that um song in a more of a pg-13 kind of way kind of way yeah (laughs) yeah oh king cutie like just reading the lyrics it seems like such a fun song (laughs) and is just like kind of the ultimate you know about like these like uh hating on like the fuck boys essentially definitely (laughs) so fun well it's sort of hating but also kind of very drawn to it 
to that. Yeah, I like I can't believe it, yeah. but like, damn what it. am I doing? <laughs> and I think that's what Why yeah. am I like New this? Rules is about right the Dua Lipa song. Is really, yeah, you know, she's, like, yeah. she's just like, man, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm, not, oh, I'm gonna. I did, <sighs> I did it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Oh my god. Uh, so we've talked so much about fame and music and celebrity and everything. So what we really should ask about and what we would love to hear about is stars like us writing podcast winning. (laughs) Yes, technically it is. Uh, Is stars like us winning the Hardy Grant Egmont ampersand prize. So how did, I mean, how did you decide to enter? What was it like to find find out? um, I I followed the ampersand for ages. Um, There's obviously in Australia, there's two major YA prizes, the ampersand and the text prize. Um, And I entered both with my previous novel um, and didn't, you know, get away with it. Um, And then I started writing Stars Like Us um, after that. And uh, so I, again, you know, 2018, I entered it again and didn't think I'd, you know, I didn't hadn't placed the year before, didn't think I'd place this time. They get something like 200, 300 entries every year. And I just thought, oh, yeah. well, never mind. You know, I'll just send it off to these guys. And I'd also just received some really bad feedback from someone who just didn't really get the book. Um, and, yeah, you've got to be careful getting feedback from people because sometimes it doesn't go that well, go that well. And I, I sent it to someone who, a writer, who um, had offered to give it to her agent and I didn't think she would read it. I thought she'd just give it to her agent, um, but she didn't. She read it and then she told me it was terrible and needed a whole lot of work and, and I was very upset because I thought it was finished. Um, so I kind of sent it off to Heidi oh, Granny. Nice. Oh, no, I mean, she thought she was helping. Um, yeah, <laughs> she she really wasn't. And so, um, I, you know, because the thing is ultimately like that's one person's opinion and I think even if your opinion is, you know, experienced you're not necessarily you're not god like you don't get to decide whether these whether something's successful and not every book is for every exactly so she was she thought she was helping but unfortunately she um she really diminished my confidence in it and so I sent it off to the ampersand prize thinking oh well I'm sure it's no good um and um and then I got uh shortlisted um and I had a chat with um Marissa Pintado at Hardy Grand Egmont who's the publishing director there and um and I just came out of that chat you know it was sort of an interview I guess um I came out of that thinking oh I really hope I win this just because I think these are the right people to publish my book like not so much I mean obviously winning the prize was amazing but I just I got a really good feeling after that conversation and I thought I these guys get it they know what I'm trying to do they're going to help me do that you know um and um, I really was really very hopeful and I waited for a week with like just biting my nails down to the quick and finally um, they gave me the call and told me I'd won and I was really trying to be cool. I shouldn't have bothered but I was like, you know, I'm sure they get people like screaming all the time but I was just like, oh, yeah, mm, oh, yeah, well, that sounds, yeah, that sounds great. That would be great. And um, meanwhile, I had like, I was like a kettle, like I had like steam coming out, out of my ears, like um, like a little whistle, like, and my dog was like, he was sitting on the bed and he's just like, what is wrong? Like, something is wrong. <laughs> he's a pretty nervous guy anyway. And this was just too much for the poor little guy. So, um, yeah. So after that, um, I, it took a, 
almost two years from that point to publication because there was uh, redrafting and I had a baby in the middle as well. So I was, you know, quite other <laughs> things to think about. And then... Um, yeah, you're a bit busy. I have, yeah. <laughs> I delivered the manuscript on the 31st, 30th of uh, July and then my baby was born on the 31st. <laughs> I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> what a week. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It's crazy. Um, but, yeah, so, uh, yeah, the Ampersand Prize is amazing. It uh, absolutely changed my life. I don't think I would have got it published without that. I needed that um, additional support and I didn't know that, you know, there's just so much I didn't know um, and that I needed and then once I had that, amazing um support and editorial feedback from Heidi Granig when I was able to make it a better book um I feel like it's a much better book <laughs> so, yeah. yeah wonderful yeah yeah that's amazing and it yeah it's so funny that you were trying to play it cool and just not sound like not sound too excited on the phone <laughs> what happened she wanted me to be excited like I don't know. It's probably she probably got off the phone Why and was isn't like, she oh. more excited?" <laughs> yeah. What what happened? What happened when you got off the phone? Oh, I freaked out. Like I was just really, really excited, and I went out, you know, and I obviously told everybody I know, and then and then I had a week of wondering if maybe I'd uh, like dreamt it, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. then um yeah, and then I got a contract, and I was much more um. You know, I was like, oh, okay, I can now. breathe. I can actually tell people now, because um, I kind of announced it on Facebook. Well, Heidi Grand Egmont had announced it um, on their website, and so I shared that mm-hmm. announcement on Facebook, and then everybody I knew was like sharing it and talking about it, and I was like, oh god, this better be happening because it's going to be really embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> I know, guys. Sorry. Imagine. Oh God, it'd be awful. Yeah. (laughs) Um. So, are you working on anything else now? Yes, I have two books that I am working on. One is a ghost story, which is a love story. Um. So it's not. It's not like a. It's. I say it's a ghost story, and people like, oh, horror, and I'm like. Um, I do really like horror as a genre, but that's not what I'm writing. Um, so no. <laughs> um, no, I didn't no. think that. I thought like contemporary. Yeah, yeah so with it, with it's, a a ghost. it's very similar to the movie Ghost, the classic uh, Patrick Swayze vehicle, um, which I love. Um, but it's sort of more for a YA audience and it's uh, obviously got a different plot. But, the you know, the idea of, of love that transcends death is kind of the theme. Will there be a pottery scene? <laughs> I'm, I'm not intending for there to be a pottery scene. But you never know what will happen and you can't. Um, look, I um, I heard recently, I've been, I watched Ghost again and I heard that actually that pottery scene, apparently the whole thing was um, improvised. It wasn't ever supposed to break. It's what it's what people think of when they think of Ghost, surely. Yeah, surely. surely. Yeah. That, yeah, that yeah. and Ditto, I reckon. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so it's it's a that sort of idea, and I um that's what I wanted to sort of write there. And my other idea is um it's a it's called uh, Theatre Kids, and it's about a like a group of um, teenagers. It's more of an ensemble piece who are obviously in the theatre and trying to put on a play, um, which is what I spent most of my teenage years doing. So I feel like I have quite a lot of authority. Me too. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> 
when you said theater kids i was like that's like the name of my teenage oh years great well. Well, you can that. That, that would be the name of caitlin <laughs> yeah theater kid yeah, awesome. um yeah so that's the other idea that i'm kicking around but i haven't really started on that one yet and I, i'm not sure you know the, you get these ideas and you kind of see where where they go but um I've got the characters for that one and that's usually a good sign for me that they're kind of, it's kind of coming together when I know that you know, these people yeah. kind of they're real in my head and I want to make them real on the page. So that's, yeah, that's sort of the next thing for me. Well, we will look forward to that. But for now, we can all enjoy Stars Like Us. And um, do you have like a playlist or anything for the I don't. I should really, shouldn't I? I was quite reluctant to do one because I felt like it was putting – I like music in people and there is obviously there's songs referenced throughout the book um and you can always you know YouTube them but I didn't want to kind of tell people how to feel while they were reading it and I feel like for me like music really influences my mood so I thought I won't do that but now I've been asked about it quite a lot and I'm sort of thinking yeah maybe I could do one and I'm so obsessed with music that I sort of think oh yeah I'll do one because like I love making a playlist um so I feel like half the fun of a playlist is, or more than even, is just making it for yourself. Yeah, 100%. I yeah. Never, like, I never really share a playlist with anyone. So you could share it and no one else can listen to it, but it's just for you anyway. Definitely. I just finished the High Fidelity with Zoe Kravitz. Uh, so they've made a new TV show of High Fidelity, which is one of my favourite movies, and they've they've turned it into a TV show oh. starring Zoe Kravitz. I love Zoe Kravitz. Who is out of control, like far out. Oh so God. she and she, you know, she's amazing um and just like what an actress I didn't know she was that good I love her. like yeah I love her too but I just didn't realize that she was like quite so talented it's you know it's a lot of face to camera stuff and really difficult like technical stuff to pull off and she's she's amazing um but that has a really good great soundtrack so if you know if you're after a good playlist you could look that, look that one up someone else's curator but that's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> really good I recently put together um, one that I've just called like a get excited playlist and I use it before like video calls and stuff like that where I need to be energetic and stuff um, and it's yeah got some of my some of my favorite things on there I mean how good is it just being able to put on music that you love I think that's the main takeaway from today is how powerful is music and how much fun is it um, so if you if you do end up putting together a playlist that you want to share with our listeners, we would appreciate that. But I'll let you know. No, no, no pressure. Monkeys <laughs> <laughs> and Bowie on repeat. So I. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> oh, thank you so much for joining us today. We really, really appreciate it. Um, thank you for letting us indulge our. Uh, various musical tastes um where can people find you online um i am on instagram uh francis chapman writer and i am on twitter at f chapman writer i'm not on there very much yeah excellent oh thank you so much <laughs> have a wonderful wonderful evening day i don't know evening. what time is it yeah thank you for listening to better words you can chat to us on Instagram at Better Words Pod. And follow me, Michelle, at Unfinished Bookshelf. And me, Caitlin, at Just a Bookish Babe. If you liked this episode, please share it with a book loving friend and leave a rating or review. Bye.